This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. In this episode, Bijan Molemi, co-founder and CEO of Mosaic Tech, outlines why finance is becoming an increasingly technical function describes how to create a truly strategic finance team and shares how Mosaic balances a remote-first organisation with the need for in-person connection. Hi, I'm Ross and this is the CFO Playbook, where each week you'll get insights from world-class financial leaders to help you grow your company, yourself and face the challenges required of today's CFO. Before we jump into the interview, we want to invite you, our listeners, to head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. We want to learn about how to make the CFO playbook even better. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad, or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. Bijan, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Ross, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So Bijan, I'd love to uh, explore your background, learn a bit more about that. And of course, you're now CEO at Mosaic and you exist to, to support CFOs and finance teams around the world with better tools than they've had before. But what led you to setting up Mosaic and what, what was that journey like? Yeah, absolutely. So started my career actually doing FP&A at Qualcomm Fortune 100 company. Did that for a couple of years. Great experience, learned a ton. I, I think had a, a yearning to work at a faster paced organization and make a bigger impact. So got really lucky in late 2011, was able to join Palantir. And there was really no semblance of a finance team at that time. So coming from kind of this highly structured environment at Qualcomm to first day at Palantir. I've got the CFO over one shoulder. I've got the CEO over the other. I'm knee deep in this financial model. I know nothing about preparing board slides. It's kind of like, welcome. Welcome to Palantir. Here's the the new reality. So spent six years at Palantir, met my future co-founders, Joe and Brian there, and just had an incredible journey. Really fortunate to join the company through the stage of hyper growth team was roughly 100 folks when we joined and almost 3,000 by the time we left. So the the six years at Palantir were, were kind of like 30 years anywhere else and, and really kind of pushed the boundaries and expectations of what was needed from us inside the finance organization. So along that journey, kind of tried every off-the-shelf tool out there, all the legacy planning tools, ultimately built a technical finance team to really solve a lot of the challenges that, that we were facing. Post-Palantir, Joe, Brian, and I each wanted to be finance number ones again, kind of start the journey over from scratch. So the, mm-hmm. the three of us went on to be finance leaders at high-growth VC-backed companies. Very quickly, I think, realized, oh my God, everything we did at Palantir, turns out every company needs this. It's not just a Palantir-specific problem. So employed the same playbook, again, built a technical finance team, automated our way out of a job, and 
at that point, really had been spending kind of the, the better part of a decade thinking about this problem in earnest, becoming uh, a domain expert. And as the three of us were, were thinking about it, we, we had this kind of notion in the back of our head that if we didn't take this a step further and try to solve this problem for other peers, other finance leaders, uh, it might be something that, that we would regret for the rest of our lives. And so that's really where the idea behind Mosaic came from, really born out of our own experiences, didn't just wake up one day and decide to start the company. It felt like the next natural step for us. And you describe, like, and you use very, very concisely the term technical finance team. What do you mean by that? Really what we were doing at the time, right? And it, you think about the role of the CFO, it, it's so mm-hmm. dynamic these days. To be strategic, you really need to be able to plug into all the different data sources that the business is using. So when we say technical, what that means is a finance team that is technical enough to set up a database, set up an ETL pipeline, write code to hook into the APIs of all the different business systems that we were using. Uh, and of course, a hyper-growth company, you're, you're using a new SaaS-based tool, it feels like every day, every week. And then a lot of the work that typically a finance organization might be doing in Excel or Google Sheets, we're actually doing that through code. And the great thing is, it's real time, it's always up to date. 2011, if you kind of remember, the the big rage at the time was Tableau. So we invested heavily in Tableau and these highly curated dashboards were really kind of the interface that we used to communicate with the business. So technical finance team is really doing a lot of kind of the behind the scenes technical work to automate workflows that are typically manual. From that perspective, you, you almost become, well, the finance person can almost become more of a product manager and a product owner with the supporting technical team than, than merely someone who's working in the business side of things. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. And when you think about, at least for us, when we think about what does it mean to be strategic on the finance side, if you're spending 80% of your time pulling down data from NetSuite, from Salesforce, cleaning that data, copy-pasting it into your model, rolling forward the formulas, that's painful, that's manual, that's labor-intensive, it's Mm error-prone. It's not strategic in any way. The the strategic part comes when you can take a step back, you've done that work, and you can convey what do the numbers say, partner with folks across the business, and use that data to propel the business forward. And so from our perspective, by automating away kind of the the 80% of operational tactical work, it allows you to be more strategic and focus on really propelling the business forward. So in the way you did it, like you built it yourself uh, and yourselves at, at first at Palantir and then at the other companies. And then you wanted to, you thought actually there's a product and a service that can be built in, in the form of what we've already created. So you created the MVP prior to that. That's exactly right. I think from our perspective and I, I, I look, I don't uh, want to diminish it because there's so much work that's happened at all those companies and here at Mosaic for the last few years. But it felt like to a certain extent at Mosaic, we're doing this for the third time. We solved this problem at scale at Palantir. The four or five companies that we worked at prior to starting Mosaic, we also tackled this problem and really felt as though we had an edge and saw something in the space that not many other finance leaders had seen at this point. Were you or your two co-founders inherently technical or was that something that actually you had to develop because you saw an opportunity or you saw a problem that needed that technical prowess? 
Yeah, so none of us are we're technical. I, I'm probably the least technical of the the three co-founders, but our co-founder Brian actually became highly technical, proficient in SQL, proficient in Python, and the first probably year, year and a half at Mosaic was actually hands-on building a lot of the logic layer of the application. So the team we built at Palantir, we would basically teach them everything that they needed to know, put them through a SQL bootcamp, allow them to be technically proficient to be able to kind of maintain the apparatus that we built and solve these problems in a more scalable fashion. Like I've seen it in various guises that like some finance teams who are like highly technical and that's almost like an entry criteria for going into, say, somewhere like FP&A and other places where they're extremely analytical, but perhaps lack the technical skills as you describe SQL or Python. And then they rely on other teams around the business, someone perhaps within BI or data management as a, as a team, as a service to provide them with the right data. Like, have you encountered both of those models and which one do you think is the better one? I mean, look, I, you're, you're spot on there. I think that's what we see as well. And you think about the role of the CFO and folks inside of the office of the CFO, it is a highly technical function these days, right? To make sense of all the different data sets across the business, pull them together real time, massage the data, present it back to the business, and not just present it back in a way that the business has to understand it has to be digestible and that does not mean mm-hmm. a balance sheet a statement of cash flow it has to be something that that is consumable and then the speed at which you're pushing it back out to the business it can't be late right if i give you something that happened last month it doesn't really matter the business has moved forward so that speed is also important so you think about all the different facets to that problem from our perspective this is a fairly technical function at this point so Really, our perspective at Mosaic is, look, most CFOs, most folks on the FP&A side today are not technical. So how do we bridge that gap and actually allow them to reap the benefits of being technical without having to write code themselves? I think the the problem that you've alluded to on the, the BI side, uh, and we've seen this play out time and time again, is for the most part, I think it's a fair generalization to say, Finance is typically at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to getting resources and time from the data team. So yes, you can use a database, you can use a looker, you can use a Tableau. It is going to take you at minimum 9, 12 months to stand up that stack and you still need to be able to be proficient with how these systems work to be able to tell the data team exactly what they need, you need to be able to get those outputs and then something breaks you're not able to fix it, and so you got to go back to the data team. So from our perspective, finance really deserves a tool that is accessible to them that doesn't take a year and hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up. Uh, and that that's really one of the main drivers behind Mosaic. And I guess, of course, that, that you, you alluded to it in some of the language you use is that it's, it's a new category. It's complementary to the existing technology that CFOs and so on will use. And so I'd, I'd love to explore that with you because when we talk with CFOs and we've had so many on the podcast, very often, depending on you know which size of company or which industry, as you said, the role has evolved. It, the scope has broadened. They're thinking about the customer. They're partnering with the business. They're advising the CEO. They're managing yep. investor relations. So in many cases, 
they want to automate, but they're not incredibly close to technology categories. And so the first thing that comes to mind when they're thinking of technology is things like ERP. And then next after that, it might be they talk about billing or CRM systems. But with this being a new category uh, and naturally solving a problem perhaps that they didn't know existed, how have you been engaging and having those conversations with CFOs and finance teams about the, the power or the, or the usefulness of this type of category of tool? Early on when we started the company, one of the biggest things that we thought we might encounter is resistance to new technology. When I think about technology in the office of the CFO, as a former practitioner myself, I'm disappointed, to be honest. I feel like we've really been overpromised and underdelivered to when it comes to great finance tech over the last 20 years. And so we thought, hey, there, there might be this resistance or reluctance to want to try something new. I'd say in practice, that hasn't necessarily been the case. I think what you're seeing is folks across the finance world who see their peers in sales and marketing and HR, legal, design, engineering, who have amazing SaaS-based tooling that gives them leverage. It saves them time. It makes them more powerful at their roles. And so I think on the finance side, in practice, what we've actually seen is folks are willing to try something new. Now, of course, we've only been at this for uh, a few years. We're not going to be feature complete against some of these planning tools that have been around for 15, 20 years. But we're happy with the adoption that we're seeing. And I think folks are looking for something that is solving some of the more modern workflows that a CFO is tasked with today. And so then... On that point, though, you're almost talking about like serving the great underserved in finance and GNA, and you see that not just within finance but also HR systems as well. But there's so many companies out there. Soldo's one, of course, in a, in a different category. You've got a bunch like worldwide, but then some just um, North America or European specific that are offering solutions to different finance problems. So there might actually be another problem, which is that even though they're underserved, there's now an overwhelming number of options for different subcategories of finance tech. Is that something that you've encountered in conversations with finance teams? I think that's fair to a certain extent. There have, over the last few years, I'd say kind of this renaissance period of finance tech. And it's been great to see uh, a lot of the credit card platform solutions out there that have raised amazing rounds and have built great companies over the last few years. I think you're starting to see it a bit on payments and billing, ARAP, uh, a little bit on the accounting side. So yeah, I, I'd say over the last few years, after kind of a, a lack of options for, for the last 15, 20 years, folks have realized that the office of the CFO is underserved. And uh, right now it feels like a, an area that is getting a lot of attention and focus and deservedly so from our perspective. From your perspective, as you're thinking of the type of problems that you help finance solve, what which are the problems that, that CFOs and finance teams are most excited about that Mosaic is helping with? Number one, I think it all starts with the data, right? If you do not understand the data, if you're not pulling in many different data sets that the business is using, uh, and you can't make sense of that data, you can't really do much. So I'd say for us, the secret sauce behind Mosaic is pulling in data and then normalizing it, cleaning it, and really building this solid foundation to work off of. Um, there, There, there's kind of a few problems that we're solving. Number one is, all the different workflows that that an analyst might encounter related to reporting and analysis. So, hey, I want to know mid-month, how am I tracking against my ARR goal? Or an investor wants a quarterly update. 
or a board deck, great. Let me automate that away. Let me give them financial statements. Really trying to make all those workflows self-serve so that it doesn't require uh, cranking at midnight or spending a weekend trying to update your Excel files. The the second part of the application is really uh, focusing on the future, right? Whereas the analysis reporting might be real time or looking at the past now you're taking a lot of those different, and we call them kind of like Lego bricks, ARR, new business bookings, ACV, whatever you might be looking at from a reporting perspective, let's actually allow you to use those Lego blocks to forecast and scenario plan. So really trying to be, I'd say, more comprehensive and more of a platform than just focusing on planning. It actually starts with data ingestion and normalization, uh, automating away a lot of those typical workflows that a, an FBNA analyst would be encountering day to day with the business uh, and then also the forecasting and scenario planning piece as well. And so then with that, like thinking of the the, the way that you've structured it um, and the forecasting, of course, forecasting has been top of mind more so than ever through the pandemic for CFOs uh, facing the impossible challenge of forecasting a pandemic, which no one has lived through, bef- through before. How do you approach the forecasting within the model and, and how are you ensuring that it's specific to those businesses and nimble enough to take in uncertain events or unpredictable events? Our approach is differentiated for a few reasons on the forecasting side. Number one is you think about the way that you would typically build a forecast. You can either use a sheet, Google Sheets or Excel, or you can use a legacy planning tool. And it's going to be painful to build your first forecast either way. You're programming each cell, each formula, each row, or in the case of a solution, tab by tab. And it's going to take you days, weeks, in the case of some of these legacy tools, maybe a year, maybe more. So what we're doing out of the box is we're actually, we're hooked into your data. The more data you give us, so you give us the ERP, you give us your CRM, your HRIS, great. Suddenly we've got all this rich data. We can actually take a look at some of your historicals and create this baseline forecast out of the box that is kind of a trend from what's happened historically. Mm -hmm. So for you to go in and then tweak your model and have it make sense to your business you're really customizing the last 20% versus having to build everything from scratch. I think the second point that you alluded to is mm-hmm. you can't just have one view of the world, right? Especially this day and age, things are unpredictable. We've seen that with the markets over the last six months. We've seen that with the pandemic over the last couple of years. And so how do you make scenario planning and having different views of the world and different paths that your business can go on as easy as possible? And so that's another feature set that we've spent a lot of time building from day one is how do we ensure that it is very easy to have multiple scenarios and compare them and really keep all options open as you're a finance practitioner thinking about running your business. With that in mind, I'm conscious that, of course, this might be the first time in your career that you're, and of course, it's been a number of years now, but the first time that you've not been a finance professional or a finance leader. So uh, you're a, the CEO in some places, in some ways, you've gone to the other side of the fence. So so what is that like then being the CEO rather than like the person responsible for finance? And, and has that changed your perspective on finance as a domain? It, really great question. I think, if anything, I would say, it really helps me appreciate the value that finance can bring to the table. As a CEO now, it is more important than ever to understand the financial ins and outs of the business and make sure that we know exactly what is going on Mm -hmm. inside the organization. So having a tool like Mosaic, having a great team and 
data at your fingertips gives me peace of mind that we can run the business that we want and we're not kind of driving without headlights around corners per se. So I'd say definitely has given me even more appreciation for all the hard work that goes into building a finance function and being on the other side, more of a consumer of the data, just feel <laughs> thankful to, to be using our tool and to, to have the team that we have today. And then speaking of that team, aside from, of course, the product that you're building and what you're bringing to customers, how are you building Mosaic as a company and, and how is how are you scaling up? The org is roughly 100 folks today. We've tripled that number over the past 12, 15 months. I, I'd say what's been neat for us over the past year has been being hands-on, building out various functions of the organization that didn't exist, right? As a, a, as a CFO, mm-hmm. of course, you're engaging with marketing, you're engaging with sales, but you're, you're arm's length away from ac- what's actually going on inside of the business. So for us, um, what we found is the best way to learn as founders is be tip of spear, actually be hands-on, kind of prototyping these organizations, doing the work ourselves, really understanding what goes into it, starting to get some traction, and then hiring amazing people who are domain experts that can do it way better than we can. Uh, look, it's it's been really fun to dive into sales, to marketing, to customer success, to product. Uh, it gives me kind of a new perspective of uh, those areas of the business that historically I was maybe seeing from more of a, a finance lens. Given that that perspective that you've now got, is there any insights Look and perhaps reflecting on how you approach things as a finance business partner and a finance leader in the past that you would now adjust knowing what you know now. Communication, collaboration, key. It's very easy, especially in a remote first environment, to have siloed conversations, siloed data. Uh, and when it comes to the numbers, I think what you'll see in most high growth organizations is many different sources of truth, right? We, we've all been in those meetings where Finance has spent hours, days, weeks putting together an analysis. Uh, your head of sales walks into the meeting and says, oh, that, that's not our revenue number. I'm tracking this number in my sheet. And suddenly all that hard work uh, is down the drain. The meeting's uh, <laughs> a wash, and then you got to go back and try to reconcile numbers. So I, I'd say that the big learning for me is getting everyone aligned on the data. And as a finance business partner, really going above and beyond, not just understanding the data, but really trying to understand things from the, the business partner's side and try to be an, an advocate. Uh, you're empowering them with the data that they need to run their organization better. You touch on the remote first piece. Is the organization you're building remote first? And, and if so, like how, how are you balancing that need to connect, which people are really, re- like I think, realizing, but also the huge advantages for not just for re- recruitment and retention, but also for culture um, and even things like diversity that you can have by hiring across the entire US or even the entire world if you're going that wide? It's a really good question. There's pros and cons, um, and it's, it's new for all of us, right? It's not an easy thing to do. Uh, we as an organization very early in our tenure did make the decision to move from being a San Diego-based company, 100% in person, to remote first. Uh, We actually did it a few months before the pandemic, so made kind of the shift for everyone being remote a little bit easier for us. Uh, And to your point, the, the main reason at the time was we wanted to tap into a more diverse talent pool. Uh, I think this day and age, you're really 
closing the aperture by saying, hey, I'm only going to build a company in the city. The the talent pool is going to be significantly smaller. And there's amazing people all across the U.S., all across to your point. So uh, it's been incredible. I, I, I think what, what separates good organization great is the people. So being able to tap into that, mm-hmm. uh, that global has been incredible. Um, but remote first also causes challenges. It's very easy to miss out on those water cooler conversations and things that happen kind of happenstance when you're around folks in the office. Uh, you're whiteboarding, mm-hmm. pull someone into your office, just start jamming on something, et cetera. So I'd say cohesion, trust, communication, collaboration, culture building, all of those things are, at least in my opinion, an order of magnitude harder to do in a remote first environment than they are in an in-person environment. So I, I'd say very early realize that you have to be proactive and you have to be intentional and you have to really drive these things forward with a lot of inertia. Um, if you don't, things like culture, they're going to happen one way or another, right? You can either be intentional about culture or you can be hands-off, let it manifest the way that it's going to manifest. And for areas like that, you never want to be kind of doing surgery to your culture and having to go weed things out. So I think from our perspective, rather be more intentional, knowing it's going to take more time, more focus, because it's that important for for us here at Mosaic. I find it really interesting because that, like for me personally, and, and not just at Soldo, but even speaking with friends and, and colleagues at other companies, that point on culture is something that has has really come to the fore in the last 12, 18 months. You know, it's probably alongside the the great resignation, the the so-called phenomenon of people reconsidering what they're doing with their lives and and deciding to change things. But I think that, as you said, is that in in a way, it's like culture is much more controllable in this singular office environment. A few posters, a free lunch, uh, some <laughs> beers after work on a certain day or whatever it might be. And you can almost start to bridge it. Whereas, as you said, it's not even that you might create a bad culture purposefully. It's just sometimes because you're so busy. And I'd imagine for you and CFOs, similarly, they can be so busy that it'd be very easy to not spend time on regular communication, building that trust and nurturing the culture. Yeah, no, I I think that's absolutely right. And it's very easy to be behind your computer as a CFO cranking all day in Google Sheets Excel and lose sight of what's happening with your team, lose sight of what's happening with the organization. And a lot of those cues that you might pick up on in person, body language, tone, are sometimes hard to to pick up on in a remote first environment. And I think beyond that, the the other learning on our side has been, if you've never met your peers in person, depending on who you are and your personality, you might not actually feel comfortable until you have the chance to meet them in person. And so, uh, again, the advantage is being remote first. uh, But uh, on our side, I think one of the things that we've really been leaning into has been trying to get new hires to the San Diego office uh, as early in their time possible, uh, and then really trying to meet up in different regions, meet up um, in the office on a regular basis, whether it's quarterly. And then we're also doing uh, an annual company gathering as well, uh, which has just been incredible for building that trust, sharing the war stories of what it's like to be in the trenches of a startup and all that. So uh, as amazing as Remote First is, I think, 
there is something to be said for in-person and, and getting FaceTime with your teammates. And I feel that once you've connected with people in person, the, the next time you engage with them on video conference, it's completely yep. different. The, there's there's something else in that interaction that goes beyond you know whatever is said or seen. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think what we, we realized, we had our first in-person gathering in San Diego last year when the team was 50. Um, that entire week, there's no other word to describe it other than magical. And that magic, I think, was easy for us to recreate once we all felt it in person. Uh, so we've got our, our new gathering here in a few weeks. Team's roughly 100 now and uh, very much looking forward to finding more of that magic and using that to kind of uh, propel us in the back half of the year. I can imagine. And and I wanted to touch on a couple of other uh, points that are, I guess are specific to Mosaic I find interesting. One is that, of course, we're often talking with CFOs here who are that come from all different companies and industries for various shapes and sizes. But it's interesting when you talk to a leader like you from a company like Mosaic because you're CEO, but actually your background is in finance. You'll have a finance team, but all of the product tech, even the commercial part of your business will be orientated around the needs of your customers who are primarily finance leaders and finance finance professionals. Can you talk a little bit about how you either build or nurture that understanding of, of what it's like to be in finance and what matters to finance people within Mosaic? It's a work in progress, just like everything. We're always trying to improve. I'd say one of the things that I'm proud of that I think we've done a pretty good job of and will continue to do is we are in a space that does require deep domain expertise. I, I think it would be tough for someone who does not have a background in finance to just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to start a company like Mosaic. I don't want to say it's impossible because I don't think anything's impossible, but it will be very, very difficult. So early on, I think recognizing that we really tried to bring subject matter experts that had a traditional finance background and put them in non-traditional roles. And that's the QA team, folks that are actually testing the code before we we ship it to production. Up until probably three months ago, 100% of our customer success organization was former finance folks, sales, our sales engineers, our former VPs of finances. And so up and down the organization have really tried to sprinkle in some of that subject matter expertise by bringing in former finance folks. But I, I think that indoctrinization to Mosaic, having a really robust onboarding program that tells you everything you need to know, Finance 101, who are the different personas, et cetera, um, we're not exactly where I would want to be there yet. We do have a pretty decent um, a amount of recordings and trainings and all that. But I think to your point, really helping our team, every single person in the organization know exactly the problems that we're solving, the dynamics across different personas that might be using the product, that's the ultimate goal that will allow our engineers, our product team, our QA team, or, or whoever it might be inside of the organization to really see around corners and come up with innovative solutions to solve problems. So uh, I don't think it's something that's ever done, but it definitely continues to be a, a focus for us here. I love the the strategy of hiring finance people into non-finance roles. It's, it's, it's a brilliant approach. Like one of our peer companies, Airbase in the US, does it does very similar things. They'll bring in people for, for sales yeah. engineer roles, or even that you'll have got people in customer success that that are that are accountants. And that's something that we emulate at Soldo as well. 
it's of course very hard to find those candidates because you need to go to them and say, yeah, you're you're probably great at your job. Finance is a great place to be, but come and do something a little bit different. I think to the right individual, it's exciting. It's interesting. What we've seen and kind of what I felt early in my career, kind of seeing Qualcomm, what that career trajectory would look like, FP&A can become a little bit repetitive to a certain extent. When you've really nailed it and the systems and everything's working, it's a machine. Every month, every quarter, every year, you're doing the same planning, the same analyses, the same reports, the same meetings. And so I think for finance leaders who have been doing that for five, 10, however many years in their career, you kind of know, hey, I've been a CFO, I've been a VP finance, I'm going to the next company. You're doing a lot of the same things. Mm -hmm. So what Mm -hmm. we found is for the right class of person that's looking for a challenge, the opportunity to break into a new career path, but actually be able to leverage everything that they've learned professionally is quite compelling and might give them an opportunity to do something that maybe otherwise they wouldn't have been able to. And the great thing is, doesn't work out, you can go back to, to being a VP finance, you can go back to being a controller, whatever it might be. So been really fortunate to, to find a, a class of folks who are excited to parlay their experience and try something new. I think it sounds brilliant in practice, but I wouldn't like to be the per- the product person trying to defend the roadmap and the priorities because I imagine there's a lot of passionate <laughs> voices that are saying, no, you shouldn't do that. You should do this. Definitely are. Definitely are. I'd say for us, one of the big learnings has been as we started to push a little bit up markets, get customer traction, moving from a founder first product mindset to more of a facilitator role where we want to amplify the voice of the customer. We want to hear what our CS reps are hearing out in the field. We want to hear what sales and marketing are seeing in the pipeline. So it's definitely something that has been an interesting shift for me and my co-founders. And I'd say for us, success is really understanding what our customers like and don't like about the product and trying to understand where it needs to improve. Ultimately, I think the way we win is by understanding our customer needs and delivering a solution that's 10x better than anything that exists today. And and whilst, of of course, product-specific feedback is is some of the most powerful, the broader theme that you're tapping into, which is the importance of forecasting and planning, automating that, and then freeing up time for finance teams to be able to partner more effectively is something that we've heard time and time again from CFO after CFO on the podcast. So, Bijan, as we draw the, the interview to close, I always like to ask, what advice you would have as a, as obviously a former finance leader and now someone who's building tools for finance leaders for those people who would aspire to be a CFO, given what you've seen and, and obviously what Mosaic's building, what advice would you have for them so that they could be successful when that time comes? I'd say, especially when joining a new company, but even if you're at a current company and planning on staying there for a while, of course, You've got to do your day-to-day. You've got to run the numbers. You've got to update your analyses. But you have to carve out time to really embed yourself with the different business owners that you're working with, whether that's folks on parts of GNA, engineering, product, sales. Really take a step back and try to understand how they're seeing the world and how you can best empower them with the data that you're responsible for. I think the other piece of advice that I would have is I really do feel this day and age that 
regardless of amazing tools out there, Mosaic, others in the space that are trying to do similar things, having some technical aptitude goes a long way. You don't need to be an engineer, a computer scientist, but learn the SQL fundamentals, maybe dabble in Python a little bit. I think understanding data, understanding how systems work, how you might want to join data sets and being able to to write basic SQL queries and automate some of your work will definitely serve you well, I think, over the next 5, 10, 15 years. For the office of the CFO, it will be kind of a table stakes skill set. Bijan, great advice. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Ross. Really appreciated it. One last thing. We want to hear from you, our listeners, to learn how we can make the CFO playbook even better. Head to our show notes to find a link to our listener survey. As a thank you, you'll have the opportunity to win your choice of an iPad or a Samsung Galaxy Tab S7. We would love your feedback. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel growth. Learn more at soldo.com.